Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my home studio recording, especially far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hi, Matt. Yes, it's true. The rumors are true. I'm recording from my parents' closet, and I am what? 29 by the time that this episode comes out because my birthday was when last sunday happy birthday to me that's right i almost forgot did you because (laughs) i feel like i remind you daily so yeah obviously not but obviously i've lost all track of days and months Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah i thought it was it was going to be like the day this came out but it'll be old hat by then so i don't give a (laughs) fuck anymore Ah, yeah. How are you on this beloved birthday week of mine? (laughs) Not great. (laughs) I don't know. I've had like a weird, like bad mood week. Mm. So perfect for this podcast. Not perfect for like my general well-being. Right, 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 right. I don't know. I just have been in like a weird mood all week. I think a part of it is... There's like weird, I I would think of it as like reopening pains of like, there's just like a weird readjustment to like, I don't know. I feel like FOMO is very real right now for me Mm. because it was like FOMO took the year off basically. Right. And now she is back with a vengeance. (laughs) But now that like, you know, there's always that disparity. Everybody feels this. And that's why, you know, I'll I'll cop to this here on the podcast because I know other people feel the same way, is that there's always that disparity of, like, how you feel in your life and how, like, you feel like other people are living based on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, like, we all know that they're not the same thing. Not the same. You're seeing everybody else's highlights and, you know, you're living your life. And even though I know this, that doesn't stop my brain from from <laughs> misinterpreting everything I see. Uh, she's a so, trickster. There's that. <laughs> but oh, I think, yeah, it's just like getting readjusted to like how things used to be. I, I don't know. It's a yeah. weird. It's it's also like 
The weather's changed. There's a lot happening. Anyway, well, let's time just for channel <laughs> all of that, all of that type of rage into this episode and just mm-hmm, give the people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that good, good, sweet, sweet pod. As always, this is the moment of the week, in addition to therapy, where I get to channel <laughs> my anger and rage and general malaise about the world into podcasting. So what is happening today? Coming up, we're going to kick things off as always with what? Worst things first, where I shout about the stupidest, most ridiculous worst news of the week. After that, we are diving deep into all of the small talk that we now suddenly have to have because apparently, who knew, after not seeing people for over a year, our communication skills have gotten somehow worse. And I already can't stand it. This is based on real life experience that I'm drawing on here (laughs) from only the last week. And then finally, we've got comedian, writer, actor, Chris Gethard on the pod. Chris has an amazing new comedy special called Half My Life. He's been doing comedy for half of his life. So we talk about his special, New Jersey, how olives are actually disgusting, alligators, which Chris had an encounter with, and so much more. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right, worst things first, let's talk about the worst news of the week first. We talked a lot recently about firefighters and whether it's their job to rescue cats from trees. Uh, And now we have another conundrum. The Chicago Fire Department was flagged down recently by a bird owner attempting to rescue their pet macaw who had flown up to a second story ledge. (laughs) Okay. Which is A, only briefly out of reach. Yeah. And B, not a perilous spot for a bird to be. Yeah, no. Birds, famously, have wings, can fly. Right. And it's a macaw. So also it's like, use the power of speech. You're, (laughs) You're basically dealing with like a toddler. Okay? Just be a parent. You don't have to call the fire department, okay? Discipline your child and get him down. Maybe bird wants to be up there because it doesn't really want to hang out with you. Well, the bird was apparently with someone who had taken it to a protest rally on Michigan Avenue. So Why? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I doubt that that bird is political. <laughs> Maybe that bird did not agree with the message wow. of the rally and was like, you know what? I can't stand by this. I'm out of here. <laughs> So apparently the fire, this was a fire crew that was returning from another like emergency medical run. So they Mm -hmm. weren't called, but they were, the owner flagged them down as they were passing and I'm sorry, you can do that? Like a taxi? Yeah. You flag (laughs) down any fire truck you want. I feel like that's how we're going to get you a boyfriend. Uh, Yeah. If you know a body part to show, you can flag down whatever you want. (laughs) Hey, hey, misters. That's what I say. (laughs) You want a piece of this sausage? <laughs> this hose? Exactly. You you want to see this hose spray? You want to climb this ladder? And oh. then when, when I get their attention, I'm like, hey, actually, my bird got stuck in the second, <laughs> second story window. So, yeah, this this person flagged down the uh, fire fire person, asked for a ladder and a crew member to help retrieve the macaw. Instead, the firefighter was like, we can't do a ladder. But what I can do is this pole. <laughs> Okay. Hey, that's the bargain that I want to get for my firefighter <laughs> interaction. 
<laughs> how, how about this pole? Am I right? Anyway, they lifted up this pole and just waited for the bird to jump onto it. <laughs> and then it was it was returned to its owner after Yay. being rescued. What a beautiful story. Next, in a story that I'm officially adding to Birdwatch 2021. <laughs> residents of a neighborhood in Florida. Only in Florida. <laughs> Although I don't even know if we can use that because technically this is happening all over the place. Residents say they've been consistently under attack by an invasion of turkey vultures that are wreaking havoc on their community. I especially don't like turkey vultures because they're trying to claim turkeydom, you know, and like they're not the same thing. And I just think that that is rude to turkeys. They're giving turkeys a bad rep. I actually don't know how nice a turkey actually is in real life. I've never had the pleasure of meeting one. So I see a turkey in real life and I think, oh, I can I can approach this friend. I don't think that's And then I walk idea. up and actually it's a turkey vulture who's just <laughs> who's just pretending to be a turkey. And then I get close <laughs> and then he eats my face because that's what vultures do. They love the smell of meat. One resident said that this neighborhood, which is in a suburb of Tampa, has basically been overrun because the birds have been multiplying over the course of the last three years this has been happening. Okay. She said we could have 20 to 25 vultures on our roofs. Oh, my God. Yeah. They land on our screens. Their under feathers are all over the roof. I love Ew. the specification of their under feathers. Under feathers. I wouldn't be able to tell you their feather versus their under feather. I guess the under feather ones are like, you know, that's the soft pube kind mm, of. The ones not that the are hard in the pillows. Ones. Speaking of pillows, this is just a fantastic business opportunity for this suburb. Yeah. To just start making a line of pillows, you know, vulture down feather. Right. We're going to have to start charging Florida consulting fees because I think <laughs> every time there's a story like this, we're coming up with business ideas for them to turn these lemons into lemonade. To quote the Peloton instructor, because my mom has a Peloton that I oh, no. did yesterday, we really are able to take these obstacles and turn them into opportunities. Wow. Was it Cody Rigsby? No, but my mom loves him and did mention that, like, you would be great with him. Okay, sure. <laughs> Classic mom behavior. <laughs> the residents did say that the Department of Agriculture has promised that they would remove the vultures, but no timetable has been set yet. So they just have to sit around and wait while these turkey vultures take fat shits all over their roofs and uh, nothing gets done. Finally, zookeepers in Berlin conducted genetic testing. Never a good idea. Never. Nope. Have we learned nothing from Jurassic Park? Zookeepers in Berlin were conducting genetic testing on a popular baby polar bear Ooh. at uh, the Tier Park Berlin Zoo and discovered that the baby polar bear is actually the offspring of an accidental incest breeding between siblings. Uh-oh, we got a Whoopsie. Cersei Jamie situation here. <laughs> what a sitcom mix-up. Oh, no. I got my, my polar bear genitals mixed up, and now we got a freak baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scientists got suspicious when they were like, why is this polar bear have two heads and speak full English. <laughs> okay, here's what actually happened. So there were these two adult polar bears, 
or I don't know how you classify it. They were, you know, they were past baby making age. They had their periods. Right. They'd had their, they'd had their first blood. One was from Russia named Tonya. And one was from Germany named Woloja. Wow. No idea which one had the penis and which one had the <laughs> vagina. And so Russia and Germany decided to let them fuck. And they had a baby polar bear named Hertha. Beautiful name. <laughs> Beautiful. But... A little bit later, zookeepers discovered this document mix-up that revealed that Tonya was listed oh, as the daughter of the wrong parents. There was a mix-up because Tonya was born within a few days of this other polar bear. Okay. And they got those two mixed up. Oh, no. Switched at birth. <laughs> right. It was a switched at birth situation. And so I guessed that Woloja was supposed to fuck the other polar bear. Mm. You know, that would have worked out. But yeah. somehow they got patched up as brother and sister. Seems like they didn't mind too much. <laughs> no, it, they did it. That is pretty fucked up. I feel like <laughs> they should have. I mean, maybe that's just what happens when you're in captivity. Yeah. Do you think Tonya's having like a huge identity crisis right now? She's like, wait, my parents aren't who I thought they were. Yeah. Can you imagine the amount of crushing information that hit her all at once? <laughs> you found out your parents aren't actually your parents. You fucked your brother and then you gave birth to a child that is born of incest. Devastating. Devastating string of events. My heart really goes out to her. So, yeah, I guess there's not really much they could do about that. It's just whatever. Congratulations on your freak bear. I'll never forget my Aunt Joan at the Lincoln Park Zoo. And I was like maybe 12 years old. And I was like, look at these polar bears. Aren't they so cute? And she just was like, you know, polar bears are one of the only bears that will eat a human unprovoked. And I was like, cool. Thank you so much for that information. Yeah, I believe that. I, be I fully believe yeah, that. Yeah, I believe that it too. That makes sense to me. It really stuck polar with Polar bears me. are vicious. I, I do think polar bears get a bad rap because they're the only bears that when they're filmed or pictures are taken of them hunting, you just see the blood, blood everywhere, everywhere because they're in a, there is a white background. <laughs> they look vicious. So I think this is more of a media problem for them than an actual than an actual issue. And you know what? This incest situation not helping their image. No, bad PR Absolutely. for the polar bear community. All right, that's it for this week's Worst Things First. If you want to hear and see even more stories that were cut from this week's episode, because as you know, every week we record more than we have to, and then the editors go in with their little scissors and cut out all of the best shit, and then I take it and put it on Patreon. So you can head to Patreon and watch all of that. Patreon.com slash Next, we're diving deep into all of those small talk questions that I'm going to refuse to answer. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. All right. Well, I am awkward. Okay. We know this. It doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, but it should go without saying that the last year has made me and probably all of us really even awkwarder. Anybody who comes out of this last year less awkward, I don't trust you. Absolutely not. Because, yeah, my, my communication skills 
were already fairly minimal, I would say, despite the fact that communicating is basically my job. But now I basically have to start from scratch in social situations. And I can say from experience, now that I'm fully vaxxed, I've been back out in the wilds. And there's already been a number of instances where I realized I just don't know how to operate as a member of society. For example, I was in my building gym, which is not even, that's like re-entering society light. Right. And they come in to clean it and the cleaner came in. And for some reason, the way I decided to ask this question was, should I get out? <laughs> I don't, it just came out. So like, do I have to get out? <laughs> and she was like, no, no, it's okay. You, I'll just clean like over here. <laughs> but I just felt, I was like, oh wow. I really forgot how to like ask basic questions and communicate. <laughs> I've also been back out to dinner a couple times, um, catching up with people. And it is just, just strange. It's strange. Mostly because almost nobody has anything to talk about. <laughs> so it's going to take, it's like we all need that readjustment period where yeah. we all start creating, like, we have to get interesting again. Right, and right, then right. we can go and then talk with everybody else. Yeah. So here are some of the worst questions that I refuse to answer moving forward. And by that, I mean questions that I probably will ask uh, and probably will answer in every interaction that I have. First, this is the question. We all might as well get used to it. So what vaccine did you get? Okay, I find myself every conversation, as much as I try to avoid it, inevitably, we're all talking about it. Oh, yeah. It's impossible not to. I feel like it's like asking what brand of toilet paper do you wipe your asshole with? Oh, oh you, are you a Charmin sister? Or, or, or a Cottonelle queen. Wow. That's how I would ask it. Colgate versus Crest. That was exactly what I was about to say next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I guess maybe I should add that to my repertoire of questions. Yeah. You know, what kind of toothpaste are we working with here? SSRA or SSNRI? You know? <laughs> That's true. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. What, na- write down the exact dosage and <laughs> brand of medication that you're taking <laughs> to regulate your brain. <laughs> you know, I need to write down if, if you're listening, not only will I say questions that I dislike, but I'm going to be offering some questions that you should be asking instead. There you go. This is actually so, an advice segment. Yeah, this is take some goddamn notes. I'm also not a fan. First of all, the r- r- really important question is just, did you fucking do it? Okay. Because there was a table next to us when I went to uh, the the restaurant. Here's the thing. If all else fails, listen in on the next conversation. Oh, you, eavesdropping? I did forget how much I love eavesdropping and also yeah. how little I listen to the people I'm with. Right, right. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> but yeah, but we uh, at some point overheard the, the next table and it was just a guy like vehemently describing why he refuses to get the vaccine to unclear if it was like his wife or if they were on a first date it oh, honestly could good. have been either either it was way unclear. she should end it <laughs> yeah their body language with the way they got up and left was dark but yeah but basically that is the one question did you are, are you did you fucking get stabbed and uh if not get the fuck out of my face next other small talk question uh did you develop any new hobbies during quarantine. Yeah, 
Yeah, how about having an even deeper disdain for humanity? That's <laughs> that's my hobby. How about clinical depression? <laughs> about being diagnosed as OCD. <laughs> that was a great hobby. <laughs> I also like fully forgot that I did paint by numbers for a while. And I'm like, am I going to oh, bring wow. that back this summer? I forgot about the, your paint by numbers phase. Yeah, when I went full <laughs> Monet on your ass. I think that was pre when I moved. So that was pre when we really started seeing one another in person. Right. Which is probably why I was painting instead of, you know, right. having a friend. It is insane. I think that is what has really gotten to me is is I think like I, I went into a, a lot of these interactions post vaccine thinking like I was sort of aware of all of the things that I knew would be awkward and then it was realizing like, oh, there was stuff that I forgot <laughs> that was going to be. It's like the known unknowns. But this was the unknown unknowns. Right. If right. that makes any sense. Yeah. Also, just like really taking stock in how long we were away. Right. You know, it was just like, oh, right. Yeah. We uh, this has been happening for 14 full months <laughs> and there were entire phases of that. We had full personal crises begin uh, peak and end. And some of them are still peaking. Oh yeah. Anyway, the hobbies, I just, yeah, I, I'm never on board with the, what are your hobbies question? Mm -mm. What we should be asking is, what are the irreversible self-destructive habits that you developed in the last 14 there months? There we go. It'll just ravage your brain for the next several years to come. Now that I could talk about for hours. Exactly. Mine, chronic dependency on my phone, <laughs> which was, was building up leading into the last year, but really, really hit its stride. Or how about what snack food is your body now neurologically addicted to? <laughs> Mine, it turns out, is the fistful of chocolate chunks that I have above the sink before bed. Dark chocolate almonds and pickles, um, when oh! I say it out loud, is Don't disgusting... say it together. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wait, do you eat them together? No, 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 no. Okay, okay. I'm just saying those are my two snacks that I have developed during quarantine. Right, right. We basically all turned into like pregnant women over the last <laughs> 14 months. We're just like having violent cravings for foods that do not belong together. Uh, other questions that we all have to look forward to. The quote, oh, so you, are you excited to get back to the office? Am I excited to go back to a room full of people that I have to work with? No, is anybody... I, okay, I will say I am looking forward to like public spaces and like working around other people. Yeah. So this one is a complete lie. But I think the hardest transition for me is going to be whether or not I'm allowed to wear slippers at work. Mm. Because the idea mm -hmm. of wearing any of the shoes that I own that aren't slippers during the day is is a crime. Yeah, it is true that for better or worse, I have gotten incredibly used to working um, in my underwear. So yeah. it is not, it's going to be hard to go back yeah. to a world in which I am doing work with like my thighs covered up. Right. I mean, I feel like it might actually constrict not just your thighs, but your creativity. Exactly. Relatedly, the, oh, how is that project you've been working on? Okay, babe, if you think I've managed to accomplish absolutely anything in the last year, you are fooling yourself. 
Anybody who started out last year being like, I'm going to finish that book proposal. I'm going to write that screenplay. I'm going to, you know, build that shed in the backyard. You're insane. (laughs) And if you actually did it, I don't want to hear about it. All of those productivity monsters that tried to get us to use our time and quarantine wisely, they're starting to cash in on their little schemes. And I, for one, would like to be excluded. See, everyone's like, see, if you would have started that thing 14 months ago, it would be out by now. And it's like, well, guess what? I didn't. So now what? Riddle me that. And then I walk, I walk away from the table. Yeah. Next. Anybody was like, oh, so did you go on vacation in the last year? No, bitch. Did you? <laughs> Uh, If anything, that is a good question to like weed people out because now it's going to be what's going to be interesting will be like people kind of starting to really reveal what they were up to in the last year. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, actually, you spent six months out of last year in Puerto Vallarta digging boats out of the ocean. And finally, any discussion of anybody's physical appearance. I don't want to hear it. Amen. Unless. Unless you are complimenting me specifically. Yes. In that case, yes. Please, I actually require it. And it is more (laughs) offensive if you do not tell me that I look wonderful. But yeah, there's so many articles and shit right now that are specifically targeting the like vulnerable state of mind that everybody's in and the vulnerability of like knowing that people are going to go out into the wild and people are going to see you and like judge you. uh, And that is entirely constructed. That is not how we need to operate in this world. It does not matter what (laughs) the last year and a half did not happen. Okay, it doesn't matter. Anything that happened in the last year and a half does not matter. Mm-hmm. It's a very inelegant way of saying, I don't care. I don't care if you gained 500 pounds in the last year. <sighs> People need to stop making comments. Stop targeting, you know, oh, you need to. Here's uh, here's what you need to lose your COVID-15. No, no. Maybe I like it. Yeah. Give me give me some chocolate covered almonds and some pickles. Uh, and shut your face and a fistful of chocolate chunks. Anyway, that is it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Chris Gethard on the pod right after this commercial break. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, my guest complainer today is comedian Chris Gethard. I feel like you you truly need no introduction. I, I, I would be insulted if I were you and I gave you an introduction bigger. I don't know if that made any sense. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks. It's nice. That's nice. It's funny because people who are in like the comedy and creative worlds, especially like New York based, will say things like that to me. And it's always flattering. And then it, it always conflicts with the number of people who say things like I've never heard of you or <laughs> things along sure, those lines. Sure. Uh, when my wife will tell people I'm a comedian and actor and they will respond. I don't, I don't know him. <laughs> things like that. Sure. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, but, I understand. So yeah, it, uh, it balances nicely. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, as someone who my entire world has existed within these four walls for the past 14 months. So mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. sense of, you know, what, what everybody else is aware of is, is nil. It's really just what is inside my brain in this brain. You're a star. <laughs> happy, happy to occupy that space. For you. Thank you for having me. Today. Awesome. Well, we always start by asking what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Well, tomatoes seem to be very popular in general among people. Uh-huh. And well, I can eat. I, I really. I, I enjoy a good tomato sauce. I am from Northern New Jersey, so I'm not a fool. Right. the The idea of biting into a tomato to me is akin into like in my mind. That's like biting into a balled up wet sock. That's a horrific <laughs> texture and feeling. And the other one that seems to really drive people nuts because people go, "Oh yeah, so it's a texture thing, not a taste thing with tomatoes," and they'll just roll their eyes at me. But when I tell people that I, I really hate olives, it fills them uh, oftentimes with like an actual simmering anger. Uh-huh. People get angry that I don't like olives and I don't understand why. Is it all olives? Just to clarify, black olives, green olives. You could not put an olive in front of me <laughs> that I would willingly put in my mouth. I don't trust them. Uh-huh. I don't like them. And I don't understand why that's so hard for people to reconcile. Yeah, I I generally agree on the olive front. I think the the green ones with whatever the fuck that red thing is, I'm still not entirely sure what what is stuffed inside of an olive. Can't do it. No interest. And yeah. people get so mad. My friend Don is very into cooking and he's like, it's fundamentally one of the most important things you can have for fun. And I'm like, I don't care. Get it away from me. I don't like it. Wait, does that include olive oil then? I can I can roll with olive oil. Yeah, I mean uh, oils. I I feel have no actual semblance to the thing that they come from. Generally I would speaking, agree. that's because I have the palate of a five year old. So <laughs> yeah. I would say that. But yeah, olive oil. I have no issue with. It's it's just the actual idea of picking up one of the things, like when when an olive is in a drink uh-huh, uh-huh. or on a tray. The idea of actually reaching for that to voluntarily put it in my mouth is just so outside the realm of possibility with me that it, it would it would be akin to like 
you know, sitting at like a formal dinner and trying to place my entire fist in my mouth. It's just, I don't, I can't <laughs> sure. fathom why I would ever even consider it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I just, as a garnish, I find it very strange for a drink. I don't mm-hmm. really know what it's bringing. I guess people do add olive juice to like a martini. That is a That a makes thing. My stomach turned. <laughs> yeah. That very idea. The very idea of adding uh, the idea that olive juice is a juice. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's available. That it's a liquid that you, one can procure and utilize. Yeah. Generally like speaking, it. I'm not a fan. I I know like you know pasta water is is a thing. Like you're supposed to when you're making pasta, yeah, you like I've use the leftover water, and it's all starchy. And I just it it just feels like the backwash of everything. And that's what all of juice is. It's all, yeah. I don't like. I, uh, I don't like that that group of of liquid. It, as we're talking now, there's another one that comes to mind. Uh huh. And I hate to throw any particular brand under the bus. I'll do it. We'll <laughs> we'll at them. <laughs> People's obsession with Lacroix. Yeah, really baffles. That me. actually, we, we really we've had someone me. mention that before. Actually, uh, I think they're I a controversial. It really strikes. People either way. I'm I'm actually a hugely obsessive about soda. I really enjoy soda to probably uh, uh, what I would say is a weird degree. <laughs> but sel- seltzer, I've always had a very standoffish relationship with seltzer. Uh huh. And I I don't understand how Lacroix even ranks as um, top fifty percent seltzer, let alone something that deserves this cultish devotion. Uh, but uh, you're generally like anti seltzer, though, right? I'm take it or leave it with seltzer. I got I'm it. I'm very take it or leave it with seltzer. But I think because of that, I do appreciate a very good seltzer because mm-hmm. I can sense that it's not just like water stinging your throat. And LaCroix seems to me to just crank out flavors and otherwise be a not very notable uh-huh. level of seltzer. And people really, really dig it. Yeah. Really dig it. That is that is the thing that makes I I often have to fight the urge in myself to dislike something merely because it is popular. Uh you know, I think there's that mm-hmm. sense of like, uh-oh, everyone's yeah. talking about this thing. But I don't think that's the case with LaCroix, because I agree. I it's just like there is this weird cultish obsession with it. And people get real mad when you say you're not into it. It's really like I feel like you go to other people's homes or gatherings and they will offer you a LaCroix um, as if that's a flex, right, as if they're right. doing you a favor. And I am I am nonplussed in those moments. Yeah. It's I also, gonna... as, as you talked about, oh, because now there's a... Because I've actually worked extraordinarily hard to become a more positive, less cynical person. Well, I hate to drag you back down into Tearing the Tearing down. <laughs> years of therapy. Years of therapy. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> um, how has the past year been? I So I, I watched your special. You are one of the few people I think I've gotten to talk to who's been raising a child in the past year. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I mean, really weird, mm-hmm. as we all would agree. Very tense. Um, I feel bad. I have some survivor's guilt because raising a child, my son was born in April of 2019. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was not even a year old when everything shut down. Right. And in some ways I have some survivor's guilt because at at times I feel like I've been able to have my head in the sand because mm-hmm. I'm raising a, a, a young one. 
right now, but it's also pretty nice to hang out every single day with someone who has no idea anything's wrong. <laughs> it's, yeah. ki- it's kind of amazing. For example, this morning, my son's biggest source of stress was that uh, he can't find his Lightning McQueen, who's the lead character from the Pixar movie of course. Cars. Mm-hmm. He loves Lightning McQueen. He was able to find Cruz. He was able to find Ramon. He couldn't find Sarge or Lightning McQueen, and it was bumming him out. And it's really pretty delightful to deal with someone where those are his problems. So yeah, it's been weird. I moved to Jersey too. I moved to Jersey just before, bought a house right before the pandemic, actually. I'm not one of the people who fled New Yorkers. (laughs) You don't need to hate me. Uh So that's another thing of like, I'm just kind of out in the woods right now. Kind of moved out to the woods pretty far west out in New Jersey and the kids. So I get to hide, get to put my head in the sand a little bit. God bless everybody who's left back in New York City. My old neighborhood at Jackson Heights was hit hard. Yeah. I had a friend of mine, Carmen Christopher, a really funny comedian. He visited me last summer in Jersey and we did an outdoor hang. And we were walking in my neighborhood and we passed this family. And as we walked past, the dad goes, you guys know what I'm in the mood for? I could really go for a root beer float. <laughs> and Carmen, who still lives in Brooklyn, I watched him like honestly start like, shaking with almost this half rage half defeat and he's like is that what you people are fucking worried out about <laughs> like out in the suburbs he's like there were protests on my block uh-huh. last night like on my block there were actual marches last night you motherfuckers are worried about root beer floats i'm like yeah welcome welcome to the burbs my right friend. right yeah that's the thing it's like i mean setting aside the the kind of you know, how badly New York was hit with the pandemic and, you know, protests. And um, it's also just like the craziness of the last year has made the appeal of just kind of living in anywhere else. (laughs) Like, it's hard to fight the urge to like say, okay, I just want to get out because too much is happening right here. And more, it's more just like, I don't know, something, if there's something about living outside of the city that just feels peaceful and nice and well, you worry about cooked, root beer floats. I was cooked on the, I, I lived in New York for 16 years, um, which is not even that long by many people's standards, but I was always half in, half out. Mm-hmm. I always loved New Jersey. Like anyone who's followed me for more than five minutes knows I've never been able to shut up about New Jersey. Uh-huh. I always kept a car. I owned a car all 16 years. I lived in New York City. That's quite rare. And yeah, like I just having a kid in the city too instantly, right? All the all the things you put up with, because you don't get to participate in any of the charm anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not staying out late. You're you're not getting a text from someone that's like, "Hey, I'm in your neighborhood," and you're like, "Oh, what are you doing in here?" And then you run out and meet them and hang out for a few. Right. Weeks. You don't have that. You don't have the ability to kind of just go where the winds take you, which is so much of what's completely intoxicating about being a New Yorker. So once you don't have that, then all the things you put up with are not worth putting up with anymore. Like about six or seven months before we moved, I was on a subway train with a masturbator. It's like, Uh can't do this. uh Thank God my son wasn't with me. I, there was one time where I was carrying his stroller. His mom had him. He wasn't in the stroller. I was carrying the stroller down some subway steps and Everyone cleared out, and then uh, one woman came up from the bottom of the steps and started walking towards me. 
and we were on it. I was probably three steps from the bottom and we met and she just stood in front of me and we were in the standoff. And I finally uh-huh. was like, is there any way you could, cause the stroller's fucking huge. I'm like, is there any way you could just like step down the two steps so I could get by? And she goes, Oh, come on. And pushes the stroller into my chest and like shoves past me. And I was just like, these are the types of New York behaviors that are just like sort of subhuman. Uh huh. And uh-huh. they're, it's I don't get to participate in all the other sides of New York that justify this anymore. Right, just, exactly. I just can't do it. Yeah, I have thought recently about just the amount of stuff that when you live in a city like New York, you sort of take in without even realizing that you're taking it in and, and how horrible some of those things are. I used to tell a story on stage about this was we were going over the bridge in the subway it was like the the one of the trains that goes on the Manhattan bridge and this woman it's an older woman who fell out of her seat onto the subway floor and someone's reaction was to pull the emergency brake which brought the train to a grinding halt over the bridge yeah where, where no help was going to come um and yeah i think a lot about how like I mean, I didn't know what to do in that situation. There were other people who uh, took action. I don't know what the hell happened to that woman. <laughs> like, I just had to go about my day <laughs> having witnessed that. Anybody who spent time living in New York heard your story right there. And our gut instinct is not, oh, my God, I hope the woman is okay. Everyone who's a New Yorker, <laughs> everyone who's not a New Yorker probably went, oh, my God, what happened to the woman? <laughs> Everybody who has lived in New York for even a couple of years went, who's the fucking moron who pulled the emergency brake? Like now we're all going <laughs> to, our days are going to be longer. Jersey's a little better than that. Despite its many right, flaws right. and its reputation, it's it's a little better than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do you feel like the New Jersey reputation is improving? Do, do New Jerseyans even want the reputation to improve or do you sort of like revel in the... I think we like it. I think we like it for a few reasons. First of all, it is a culture that's kind of driven by toughness and it's a culture mm-hmm. driven by proving other people wrong and of like sort of drawing lines in the stand. And so the idea, I, I think Jersey secretly does like getting judged a little bit, getting pushed around a little bit. I think it's what uh-huh. makes a lot of people here sort of like stand up and get to work. But then I think the other thing is like, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back too hard. I moved very far from the city, but I live in an area that is like, Beautiful. Uh huh. <laughs> you walk around here; it's beautiful. People who drive out to visit me go. I can't believe I just drove through down roads with all those trees and and little winding roads, and I passed this and that. And again, I moved out into the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But most people don't realize that the large majority of New Jersey is actually like pretty nice and pretty chill. And right. The people are pretty kind. So I think that's that's the double-edged sword. It's like, yep, keep saying whatever you want. Then we get to have mm-hmm, this for mm-hmm. ourselves. And also keep saying what you want. Cause I know for me as an artist, I, I was at my best when I really had a chip on my shoulder. And that's just, you grow up in North Jersey in particular, you have a chip on your shoulder. You have a chip right, on your right. shoulder. It's, there's no way around it. Yeah, I think about that all the time, actually. That thing about like having the chip on your shoulder. I mean, I think it's it's like a trope in comedy that you like have to be pessimistic or like depressed in order to be in order to like draw on that and be funny and and like, you know, if you work on 
trying not to be that way <laughs> that like your comedy will suffer because of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that sad clown myth or like you have to be uh-huh, fucked uh-huh. up to be funny thing. And I don't think that's so true. I definitely think I have less interesting things to say now than I used to that, I'm happier, <laughs> but I can still get, I can still go on stage and get a laugh. I've done that yeah. in recent memory. Right. Right. I, I think you are, um, you know, this, this latest special is, decidedly more upbeat than your HBO special. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, which is saying a lot because there's still a lot of soul searching about if I should quit and why I choose to get out of bed in the morning. So more upbeat than my HBO special is is still not upbeat, but it's uh, I, I think people <laughs> like it. I think I yeah, I would say it's upbeat. I, I would classify That's it as good upbeat. to hear. Good, good. Um. I mean, on that note, so the special, you filmed it uh, back in 2019. It's in all of these kind of unconventional venues, um, you know, famously in, well, a gator enclosure includes, that's one of Mm -hmm. them. Also a pancake uh, breakfast at 9 Mm a.m. Do you enjoy the like challenge of it? Is that it? Or is it more the just more intimate atmosphere? It's a couple things. It's like... A, I like I do love a good challenge, and I did come up in what's you know the alt comedy world as it's known, which I think is all kind of descended from a few people, Andy Kaufman among them, and like the idea of like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just do it in a way that's unusual, do it in a way they're not expecting. I do the comedy clubs. I mean, I've I've done the the funny bone in Syracuse where you're on the third floor of a mall across from a Margaritaville and next to a Dave and Buster's. <laughs> like I've done that. Uh-huh. Culturally, I think I'm a much better fit in a music venue or an art space or, you know, a DIY collective. Th- those are places that I grew up going to with the bands I liked. Right. I really feel like culturally that is a huge side of my comedy that I want to show off is like most times you see a special at somebody at like Radio City Music Hall or some fancy right. venue. I'm like, that's not really what I do. Like I, I'm, I've been successful enough to have an HBO special, but still I'm like praying to see if I can sell out the music club in Baltimore, the auto bar, my favorite venue, you know? So I wanted to show what it really looks like out yeah. there for me. And then the alligator stuff and the pancake stuff is, is definitely, <laughs> I still just, I very often someone right. will present a bad idea or I will have a bad idea pop into my head and it will just make me smile. It just make me really happy to say, I, I, <laughs> uh-huh, I think that's uh-huh. a really bad idea. I should probably go do it and see what happens. Yeah. I feel like that voice that says I should go do that thing is why you should never stop. <laughs> Cause I like that voice. That voice is powerful in me. If that voice is like, no, I shouldn't do that. Um, guess what? I'm not going to do that. I wanted to move to a section we, we call elaborate. Um, you know, know, not to drag you further into my world of of hating on shit, but uh, this is where we have some tweets of yours. Oh, wow. We basically search the word hate (laughs) and and have you elaborate on them. Most, I will say, were pretty innocuous. You you, you know, you haven't, you haven't tweeted like, I hate you at Hillary Clinton or anything, um, which is good. That's my barometer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, okay, so one one tweet was in response to someone who said they found your voice soothing, and you said that you hate your voice. I do. So it's good to um, know that other people get something out of it. Has your uh, opinion on your voice improved at all? No, As, I hate my voice. <laughs> the more you podcast, I hate my voice so much. 
No, I don't listen to podcasts I'm on. I've actually never watched an episode of my own TV show. Okay. I don't I don't like how I look. I don't like how I sound. No, thank you. And, Fair. Uh, yeah, people with with my beautiful anonymous podcast, which I really love doing. People mm-hmm. are so nice, but people do often say, "Oh, it's part of it is your voice." And people say that it's calming, it's soothing, and I go, "To me it sounds horrible." So, I'm glad <laughs> you get something out of it. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill for me, I will pass. No thanks. I I enjoy your voice as well, and that I that's thanks. coming from someone granted whose voice is I also despise my own voice. I've always had a very, you know, nasally voice. But you know what? You, I I aspire. I aspire to to your that's, voice. I I will take it. You can see how uncomfortable I am even considering the idea of <laughs> any other opinion regarding my voice. Okay, Not okay. a fan of my voice. Um, okay, a, a completely different tweet. Um, this one is. I think this was in response to someone as well, which is, "Wait, you hate chocolate milk, but you love strawberry milk." That is. That that's is so fucked up. You're allowed to like strawberry milk. You can't skip the chocolate right. milk intermediary step on the way. That's that's very concerning. To no, me. very concerning. Yeah, yeah, that is a very important bridge there. I don't. Yeah, I don't really know who who likes the flavor of strawberry milk, but not. How do you feel about strawberry chocolate milk? milk? I think I never liked it as a kid. I probably am more inclined to it now as an adult, which is ridiculous i have a feel i remember liking i'm the opposite i remember liking it as a kid and from an adult perspective i'm assuming i liked it to say i liked it and that i would hate it now Uh uh-huh maybe i have to go try it although i mean i don't even i don't even want to drink a glass of milk now right right that is, I would say, one of the most disgusting things about me is that I could just straight up drink a glass of milk. I like really in twenty twenty one. You're still drinking milk straight. I mean, I I don't actually do it that much, um, mostly because I'm I'm fairly certain I'm lactose intolerant now, and okay. I don't really okay. you know want to go down the road that that'll yeah. take me. So I've I've switched to some of the alternative milks. You, you know, your almonds, your oats. But will you sit and drink a glass of almond milk? No, no. I only I only will enjoy it like in cereal or something. Yes. Um, and yes. even then, it's it's it is a step down in my opinion. But I could <laughs> drink a glass of milk. See, at the age of forty, the idea of me drinking a glass of milk seems so far away from my reality <laughs> that I question. Uh huh. I have memories that it used to happen. That was but just, I, I don't know. It was like a, a normal drink around our house. You know, it was encouraged. It was healthy. Yeah. Yeah. We Good really the bought bones. into the, the dairy campaign that our, our bones would simply fall apart if we did not drink a glass of milk at every meal. My, my two year old, they tell the doctors tell us to have him drink milk. Uh huh. And we, we try and I would never consider it for us. <laughs> Okay, last tweet, which I'm just personally curious about, also 10 years ago. This was something your mother said, which was, I just recently decided I hate (laughs) monkeys. And there were a couple of tweets about how your mom hates monkeys. (laughs) And I wonder if that has developed at all. She hasn't mentioned it much lately, but 
I'm not surprised. I don't remember it. I don't remember uh, my mom expressing this thing about monkeys, but it's making me laugh to think about because it is on target for for her. Yeah. The other the other related tweet was about I believe people who own monkeys, which to me I mean those seem like two separate categories. Like you either you hate monkeys um, or you hate the people well, who own them. I, I th- um, or both. I think if we did some separate. sort of, um, you know, tracking the news and mapping it over whatever date I sent that, there, you know, mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm, occasionally mm-hmm. these stories that come out about monkeys attacking humans, and very often it's mon- monkeys who. Pe- right, I think what right. my mom hates, if I remember right, is you know somebody who buys a monkey and like puts it in overalls. And, and, you know, and then puts it in like a St. Louis Cardinals hat and brings it around to as uh-huh. if it's a pet or a little baby or a toy. I think my mom hates that those monkeys are, are predisposed to eventually tearing the faces and genitals off of their uh, of their quote right. unquote owners. Right. So I think I think those I think those monkey stories scare my mom. It's making her hate monkeys. And then I think she's realizing I don't want to hate monkeys. <laughs> I hate what man has done to monkeys, right. but tell you what, my mom's favorite movie growing up was Planet of the Apes, so it all really does tie together. It does all track. Uh, well, on that note, um, so people can listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the special comes out June first. Correct. Uh, where can people find that? It's it's one of these ones that's just going to be on a million different streaming platforms. So you, if you got a Roku, an Apple TV, all, all Amazon, it, it'll it's going to eventually be everywhere so you probably already have a thing on your smart device that can get it that one tubi you know how there's that one tubi you see all the time there's those apps you never open them right right yeah it's gonna be on a bunch of those it's a weird thing but it it fits my character so uh, i would say give it a cursory google search and you will almost definitely find a platform you already have that is hosting this right and it is uh half my life uh, half my life amazing well thank you so much this was uh so thank much you. fun yeah it was a pleasant conversation all right we're almost there we're almost at the end of the show but first our chasers chasers are what the good stuff that helps all the bad shit go down easier starting with do better white people where we highlight some anti-racism resources and other actions we can take to make our world a little bit better Uh, This week, I wanted to talk about the 1619 Project. It was developed by journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. We mentioned it on the podcast before, I think a long time ago, maybe around the time that it came out. But it's an ongoing project. It continues to make headlines, mostly because a whole bunch of wackos want to deny that this stuff be taught in schools at all which is insane. So I wanted to take a sec to talk about it. If you're completely unaware, the 1619 Project, it is this ongoing initiative from the New York Times Magazine. It began in 2019. It marked the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. The aim of the project is to reframe, this is according to the New York Times, it is to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. So the point is, we can't tell American history without acknowledging that the consequences of slavery, the contributions of black Americans, that 
was what shaped the United States, okay? It wasn't just a bunch of white dudes in dusty-ass white wigs in an unair-conditioned room somewhere in Philadelphia signing an old dusty piece of paper, okay? It was people who were brought here against their will building shit, okay? Also against their will. And so this project set out to acknowledge that, um, to tell this as a, as a full history and to center that story as the part of the American story, as the central part of the American story. Uh, it began as the series of essays in the New York Times Magazine, and then uh, they made it into this multi-part podcast. Uh, there's a book version that's coming out later this year. But the crazy part and why it continues to make headlines is that a lot of conservatives are now trying to make laws that will prevent teaching this material or any material related to this project and others like it in schools. A few weeks ago, the governor of Idaho signed a bill into law effectively banning talking about the notion that members of any race or sex or religion or ethnicity are superior or inferior to others. Okay? They're, they're banning talking about whether one race has ever been treated as inferior or superior to another. Okay? That is insane. <laughs> and it's not just fucking Idaho. Okay, it's a bunch of other states who are also trying to do the same shit. So basically, I just wanted to give, obviously, I'm not going to like summarize all of critical race theory at the end of our stupid comedy podcast. But go listen to the 1619 Project if you don't want to read a bunch of stuff so that you're aware when you hear about these things that are passing in these states trying to ban the teaching children actual history, you can be like, guess what? Here's some facts, okay? That is it for this week's Do Better White People. Let's get into the TV we're watching this week. Barry, what you been watching? I've been watching the new HBO Max show, Hacks, featuring Jean Smart. Yes, she's in another thing that I'm watching, and I'm fucking she's obsessed queen with of her. HBO. What an absolute queen. Ugh, I love her. And I'm really enjoying the show. For people who don't know, it's about like an older comedian who's like doing the Vegas thing, very, very wealthy. And then her agent has this kind of disgraced, canceled writer go and see her and start to write jokes for her. And it's like about their relationship. So um, I'm super into it so far. Me too. And I love Jean Smart. I It's so good. Uh, everybody in it is amazing. I yeah. love everyone. Megan Stalter, uh, a comedian mm-hmm. that I love a lot, is in it. And she's so funny in it. <laughs> She plays the agent's assistant, and wow, she's made me laugh out loud several times. Yeah, it's so good. What about you? What are you watching this week? I also watching Hacks. Nice. But I watched all of Girls 5 Eva. Oh, I haven't watched yet. On Peacock. I, I love it. It's very much like the in the universe of like Tina Fey and Robert Carlock and like 30 Rock and Unbreakable right. Kimmy Schmidt, where it's that kind of like heightened, surreal basically a cartoon but with real people if you haven't seen or heard of it it's about this pop girl group that used to be big in the 90s and now they're all sort of like you know i guess middle-aged and out of fame and some up-and-coming like rapper samples their song and brings them back into the spotlight and then they try to like mount a comeback even though they're all like older women (laughs) But it stars uh, Sarah Bareilles, who I did not know it was yeah. like th- that funny. Amazing. And Renee Elise Goldberry from 
Hamilton and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, everybody in it is so funny and it's ridiculous. And the theme song will be stuck in my head forever. Five ever. What is your non-TV chaser? My non-TV chaser is just being home with my family, uh, especially seeing my niece and my nephew. They're just so dang cute. It's so fun being around them. So that's my highlight of the week. You know, it's my chaser helping all the good shit go down. Well, good for you. What about you? Mine on TV, Chaser. Better be my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps it will be your birthday when we actually celebrate it, but we'll see. Yes, which I can't wait to tell the people what we're doing one day once we do it. My non-TV, Chaser, is two things. One is, yeah, I I started the podcast by saying I've been in uh, a funk all week, a bad Mm -hmm. mood. But one thing I did before we started the podcast was just set uh, like I I have like a dance playlist basically and I just force myself to like dance around my living room yeah and the shocking effect that that has on my serotonin levels <laughs> is it's amazing I do do not yeah. underestimate the power of forcing yourself to dance around your apartment <laughs> in a mirror I highly suggest it it'll it'll make you feel better I love it my second chaser this is my answer I would say to something I love that everybody else hates Okay, Ah. I'm flipping the script because I've had enough of the slander. The thing that I like is raisins. Okay, wow, and or craisins, which I do feel like Mm -hmm. get uh, the raw end of the deal because you know they're just why is it called raisins? Yeah, in the first place, it should be called (laughs) grazins, right? So true. So my point is, raisins are good. And if you don't like raisins, you're a child. I'll take it. Okay. That's like, say, oh, I don't like Brussels sprouts. Okay. What is this? 1995? When, when the when the <laughs> campaign against Brussels sprouts was at its peak? And they would make cartoon characters be like, no, I don't like Brussels sprouts? All for why? To get us to what? Eat, eat fucking green beans instead? Brussels sprouts are a god-tier vegetable. And Amen. they got they got viciously attacked in the 90s. <laughs> and now we all, you know, everyone who came up in that era carries with us that type of, you know, bias against Brussels sprouts. Yeah. And I fear the same thing has happened to raisins. And if I have anything to do about it, I will resurrect their image. Okay? <laughs> if you need if you need inspiration, take a look at the big boobed maid on the cover of that raisin box. Okay. Anyway, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening to Unhappy Hour. If you want more Unhappy Hour shit, and obviously you do, head straight to my Patreon page. You'll get video of the bonus Worst Things First stories that we cut from this week's episode, video of extended guest complainer interviews, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. You can also buy merch at unhappyhourshop.com. Uh, obviously also head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Rate us, review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Bellisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hans Su. You can bother Barry at Finkleberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Bellisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. 
You can also leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. Happy five year anniversary to Dangerous Woman, which was not that song. Not even close. That was God as a Woman. Same album, right? No. No. What do I know? (laughs) 